Don't you love Danny? He's got like the most calming voice ever, um, and I just appreciate that about him. Uh, I, I, I want to see him get riled one time, like at a football game, like last week's games, if anybody watched those games. Was that not the nuttiest day of football you've ever seen, ever? Um, well, yeah. Today will be an interesting day, for sure, for some of you that like the local teams. Um, I want to start with something. I, I've, I've felt this... Um, like a conviction all week. And this has nothing to do with the message. It has to do with a new pastor coming to a church that's had transition and gone through a lot of, a lot of things. And it's not just because Dale's my friend. I hold Dale in high regard. And when I heard that he was the new lead guy, I'm like, yes, what a, what a great move. Um, because I, I, know, I know Dale, and I know his character, and I know what, I, I, I believe the best about him, and I think it's going to be awesome. But then I began to think through, and I, and I thought, I, there's some, I've worked at some um, pretty successful churches, and by success, I want to qualify that. Because I, I would get asked often, what, what's like secret sauce uh, for church planters or churches? As I was working with churches, around the Bay Area, I began to see some common threads that reminded me of the church's role. And oftentimes we'll look at it and we'll think, man, great teaching or great worship um, or great children's program. And if I can right-size that for a second, great teaching is not what you get. It's how somebody accurately handles the Word of God. That's great teaching. Somebody actually holds it and says, this, I hold this in high regard and I'm going to spend the time preparing and giving it to you. That's, that's, that's the teaching. But it's not even those things. Or worship, when people say, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy the worship. Well, good, but it's not for you. It's for God. So, I mean, there's a sense of where worship actually really goes. So if we just right-size those things. But to me, the, things, the thing that people didn't expect that I have watched and, and learned and participated in in another church, for a church not to grow, but a church to be influential, in its unique geography where God has placed it. You guys are in the, you guys are in the heart of the most, one of the most influential, I believe, the most influential place in the world and uniquely placed right here and with the opportunity to have tremendous impact and influence um, in people's lives. And I think about it from a standpoint of what made those churches influential? And it wasn't great teaching. It was good, but it wasn't great. And it wasn't great worship. It was, it was good, but it wasn't great. What it was was a church that recognized from its leadership entirely to recognize that we play a role in the business of the family. And by family, I don't mean your church community specifically, but I mean the, the kingdom, if we were to qualify, the South Bay or Los Gatos area or um, Santa Clara County, and recognizing that you play a role in that and helping other churches in a kingdom context for them to grow and be successful as well. To the point, sacrificially, that you may go and support another church that may need help, which I, I watch churches do. I watch churches pay for a pastor's insurance at another church because he didn't have insurance and he needed insurance, but they paid for it. That local church that paid for it got nothing, but the kingdom got everything. And that's the mind shift right there. That's a huge piece. 
And when I watch that happen, I have to put it in a, in a metaphor of context where I can understand it. And it's like this. I have, I have four kids, so parents out there that understand you have you know, kids, just assume you have four kids, right? One is wayward. One is consumed with themselves. One is lost. And one is about the business of the family. Who, as a father or a parent, you're going to channel your blessing through? The one that's going to care for the, for the, for the collective and to come alongside that. And when you get that on a high level and say, we will be a church that will be about the business of the family. I mean, there's no, I don't have a biblical reference for that. I just have this reference point for, from, the, from the father heart metaphor that the scriptures speak of all the time. That as a dad, that's what I would do. It just instinctively, that makes sense. I'm not saying if you were God, what would you do? But if you put yourself in that context and say, how would God continue, like God would channel his blessing through the one who's about the business of the family for the sake of the kingdom. So I look at it. This church is, yeah, like you're what, five weeks away from a new guy coming in. And that should be part of your ethos. And it probably, probably is. You guys have probably been doing that. I'm just making assumptions. I'm just basing on a lot of what I've seen around the Bay Area. Churches that live, use generosity, and understand generosity is like a muscle. If you don't, if you don't exercise it on a regular basis, it atrophies. And God talks about generosity. He talks about, test me, try me, and let me, let me show you how I'll, I'll show blessing to you in Malachi. And so I think about this church and its transition and think, what are some of the ground-level DNA pieces that might need to be infused on a higher level would be that. Be a church about the kingdom, about the family. Be a church that... Um, I think about the churches that I've had success in, and I had uh, teams of people that were protecting the pastor because he's got a big old massive target on his back, especially now. And so this is a great opportunity. I'm, I'm like super, super hopeful for what God is going to do here in this community because the South Bay needs Calvary Las Gatis so desperately. They need you. And man, so when Dale's coming and with the resources and stuff that you guys have here, there's a new day coming that's going to be pretty exciting. But I felt like I needed to share that with you. That's a freebie. I don't know what to do with it. I just needed to get it out of my system. Okay, let's talk about the senses. So this week, I tried something. My dad's Bible study group invited me to go shooting with them. And so we went uh, trap shooting. Uh, you know, we have clay pigeons that fly off, and we've got all our shotguns out there. And I went and got new um, ear cans, you know, stuff that, you know, ear protection. And, and I got the highest caliber one that you can get. And so it's literally like deprivation. And I took that, and I used in-ears, and then I used that. And then I'm skeet shooting, or trap shooting, and literally it has taken so much of that sound out of the system. And I began to think about it this week, about how deprivation heightens the awareness of your other senses. Remember, we've been talking, if you haven't been here, we've been talking about senses for the past few weeks and recognizing that our senses are, are it's, it's that design by God, our physiological design to allow the outside world and what God has created and for us to experience inside our soul. And our soul, remember, is the mind, the will, and the emotions of the individual. Everybody has a soul. Everybody is a soul. But the outside world it enters in through that process. And each of those pieces 
play a significant role in our understanding who God is, our worship of God, our understanding of community, all these different things that play into that. And when you deprive one of the senses, it heightens the awareness of the others. And so I remember, I was thinking about that when I was shooting, and then I remember a, a time my daughter worked um, in the, uh, at a health spa, and they had a float tank. I don't know if you've done floating before, but she's like, Dad, you gotta try floating. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but of course, I'll try it. You know, I'm, I'm down to try anything. And so I go to the float spa, and they put you in this pod that's, you know, big enough for, you know, two people in there, and it's filled with, with a, a saline solution water. It's completely dark. You have earplugs in, so you can't hear anything, and you're floating, so you can't really sense anything either, like you feel, and you've deprived yourself of these things. And I remember getting out of that, and what I believed happens in that process is that your brain is trying to compensate for the senses that are not being activated because they've been deprived. And so uh, when I get out of that, my, my brain is just firing, and I'm just, I felt fully alive and very keenly aware of what was going on. And when you think about it, like you've deprived yourself in fasting, it's not just the food, but it's also the taste. You deprive yourself of the taste, and what does it do? It heightens the senses of hearing God. I mean, the senses play this role. It's very weirdly unique in our lives. And when we play into that, we begin to understand it, and we don't just take it for granted, but recognize it's on all the time. And I use that in such a way that honors God and allows me to know him more and worship him fully. And so I wanted to actually take us through the sense of smell. So if you have your Bibles, turn to, I'm going to actually, we're going to go old school a little bit. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles up, because I'm not going to have this on the screen yet, uh, to Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to tell, uh, I'm going to read through a story, and then we're going to unpack it just a little bit. And this is about Jacob and Esau, the two brothers, the sons of Abraham, I'm sorry, Isaac, and they, one of them steals the other's birthright blessing stuff, the blessing he has. Starting at chapter 27 of Genesis, I'm just going to go through the story and then we'll unpack it together. Before we, before we go on, let me just pray and just ask the Lord. I always like doing that before we read the scriptures. Father, we just open the scriptures to, uh, to see and to understand and to know um, what you have for us today. And that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes to be changed, be, um, to change our thoughts and our processes and incline them more towards you. So we just pray that you illuminate our eyes to the scriptures uh, this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 27. We'll start at verse 1. We'll just go through the story a little bit. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare for me the kind of tasty food that I like, and bring it to me to eat, so I may give you my blessing before I die. So Rebecca was listening, that's his wife, was listening to Isaac as he spoke to his son Esau. And Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back. Rebecca saw said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father saying to your brother Esau, bring me some game, prepare me some tasty food to eat so I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, quickly, 
carefully. Listen to what I tell you. Go out to the flocks, bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. And then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. So Jacob said to, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, he says, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? It would appear, I would appear to be tricking him and bring down a curse on, on, on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to, said to him, he said, my son, let the curse fall on me. Let me take care of this, is what she's saying. Just go do what I say. Go and get that for me. So he went and he got them. He brought them to his mother. She prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. And then she handed, then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she had made. And he went into his father, says, my father, yes, my son, who is it? He says to Jacob, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of the game so you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord gave, uh, the Lord gave me uh, success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether or not you're really my son, Esau. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and the voice was the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau, he says. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so I may uh, give you my blessings. So he brought him the game. He ate, drank some wine. Then his father Isaac said, come here, my son, kiss me. So he came to him, he kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. And then he said, Ah, oh, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of the field that the Lord is blessed. May God give you the heaven's dew, earth's riches, and the abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you, people bow down to you, the Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. Super interesting story. Because when you begin to understand and unpack it a little bit more, there's not another story in the Bible that covers all the five senses just like that one. It's fascinating when I read through it. Here's a picture I want to show you from a, a 17th century Italian artist named Gioacchino Aceretto. It's depicting the scenario of this actually playing out. And you can sense when you read it the the frantic nature, oh my gosh, this is happening, and mom trying to orchestrate something on behalf of her beloved younger son, and deceiving the father who can't see and is about to die. And it's a fascinating piece, because we see, in, and actually just, just take a look at this picture for a second, because there's some fascinating pieces in this picture. You see the mom, the dad, and the son. So I want to walk through it a little bit. First is this. The first sense that plays into this is sight. And sight is taken out of play. So when you look at it, it says, his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. 
So you see, uh, you're actually in the close-up of that picture, you see there's a, a, a imagery of his eyes where it's just blanked out. His eyes were so weak that he couldn't see. So that's taken out of the context here, out of, out of play. The next was taste. And because Esau was a hunter, he probably prepared some of the tastiest feasts that his father loves. So on a course like this, on an occasion, would warrant a great meal. And so Rebecca instead, his wife, says in verse 14, prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. And you can see the close-up of the food that was in that picture. Just what he liked. Make me some of that food. And it, it had nothing to do with being filled. It had to do with the taste, the tasty food. And then we go on. There's, this, there's a catch in this whole thing because Isaac even catches it. He's just, or, or to deceive Isaac, Jacob even catches it. He says, um, the sense of touch. And Jacob says, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I have smooth skin. Verse 16, he even says, she covers his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Because he's going to touch me. He'll know. And so there's that sense, that, that sense of the tactical. And she covers him. And you can see in his hands right here that she covered his hands with goat skin. That's why I love this picture so much. It covers every single one of the senses. And then sight, taste, touch. But how will you fool him with the sound? That's the interesting one. Where he says, Isaac, is that, is that you? Isaac, Isaac saying, I'm sorry, Isaac saying, Jacob, is that you? Is that really you? Because you sound like my other son. And so you see the mother. Here's a picture. The mother, just don't, don't say too much. Shh. Be quiet. And he said, are you really my son, he says in verse 24? And then at the very end of the story, it says, it talks about smell. In verse 27, it says, when Isaac caught the, he was, he was questioning it. And it says, when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. Why? Because back in verse 15, he said, Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, in which she had, had in her house, and she put them on her younger son, Isaac. And you see, he's just literally hovering right over his nose. Just or it's right, right under him. He's just right there. And then even in his blessing, the first line out of his blessing, he says, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. And what's interesting to me is that out of all five of the senses that we're given, the one that tips him over, the one that deceives it, the one that caps it for him is the sense of smell. And the power of the sense of smell is so amazing that that's oftentimes drawn into so much of what we do and how we respond in this world. Smell, more than any of our other senses, is this powerful, confirming, clarifying, emotion-evoking, memory-jarring sense that God's given us to connect us to the divine, to fully enjoy his creation, to re and, and to remind us of his goodness, the smell, the scent. It, it, it's so ever-present. And I'm, you know, we've played that game. We played a hypothetical game in our, with our family. Like, if you had to lose one of your senses, which would it be? You don't want to lose your sight, hearing. Gosh, that would be a bummer. I certainly don't want to lose taste. But smell is one of the ones that often gets, oh, all right, I'll take smell off the table. And not, right, not recognizing that smell plays so much as it's this most powerful and overlooked sense that we actually have. Even at Jesus' birth, 
we got the three wise men. Two out of three of them brought an aroma-driven gift. Now, I could think of, when I think about that, in gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I, I think about that, and in, in, in today's times, I'm like, that's like a doTERRA essential oil subscription that you women like. Um, like, if they, they had to save a lot of time if they just gotten Jesus a subscription to doTERRA. But um, that, I, I think about that, like, the, the scent throughout the scripture, when it comes to smell, it triggers so much inside of us. Here's the things that, that, that I was noticing about smell. It's certainly not comprehensive, but it just as I was processing this through. Smell triggers memory. Smell triggers memory. So if I were to blindfold you and take you to Costco or In-N-Out Burger or Starbucks anywhere in the country, you would be able to detect where you are. Just because they all have a unique and distinct smell. They have, it's just like, I'm in Costco right now. You just know you're in Costco. Now, for my wife, I would say that TJ Maxx, Target, and Trader Joe's, she would know she's in those things too, because she knows. Like, she's in a, you know, my wife can tell the scent between a TJ Maxx and a TJ Maxx home good. That's how sharp her senses are. Now, some of you women know exactly what I'm talking about. But you can go somewhere. You'd be like, I know exactly where I am. I, can, I, I know the smell. I went back to my elementary, I went to private elementary Lutheran school in Southern California. Um, it's called St. John's, K-8. through And I went back, I went in the gym, and I knew exactly where I was based on the smell. I went down in the locker room, I remember that smell. I went into the chapel and it had a unique smell that I remember because there was a sense of reverence when we were supposed to walk in with our hands be, you know, behind our backs so we don't touch anything. We sit down and we sing hymns. And it's so marked in my memory. But when I walked in, I, everything came flooding back because of the smell. And smell is this powerful, it triggering emotion or triggering memory. The second, smell triggers emotion. It triggers emotions. It triggers an emotional reaction when you sense something. You know, when you smell something, you're like, oh man, I, just, I smell this and I just feel happy. I remember when uh, going to school, when I was in Southern California, we lived in one city and we had to go to the school in the, in the town next, by, next, next to us. And driving our way there, there was a Weber's bread factory. And you could smell bread for like a five-mile radius around that. When, when I lived in San Jose, I could smell Gilroy on certain days, and the garlic would waft in. I'm like, and I'm like, that's not a bad smell. It's just it's a little weird in the morning, but I'm okay with it because you sent it like I know where I am, and it, and I, I'm like, oh, this is good. Smells can make you happy. The smell in a flower going outside after the rain. Smells can make you angry. And can trigger something inside of you that makes you, like, where you feel assaulted. Let me give you an example. I remember going through the mall, walking by a store called the Yankee Candle Store, and going, oh my gosh, I can't even walk by it. I'm just, my senses are just assaulted. So much smell. You can get angry. You can get happy. You can be sad. It can it trigger all kinds of emotion. And the other, smell is always on. It's always on. If you're breathing, it's on. Ever, ever wake up? to the smell of bacon, where you're laying in bed and somebody's making bacon and you're just, you're sleeping, but like, whoa. And 
your alarm didn't wake you up. Bacon did. And you wake up to like, whoa, I, this, and then you're drawn in, you're lured in. Smell is always on, always. So I read in this uh, powerful, uh, The Power of Smell in this discovery journal where it said this. This says, in 2014, a study showed that we can distinguish at least one trillion different odors from the previous estimates of a mere 10,000. Awareness of our innate smelling ability, however, is complicated because the human language doesn't have words for a trillion smells. And much of smelling happens under the radar of our consciousness. Unlike our other senses, the olfactory nerves do not proceed directly to the brain's thalamus, the gateway to consciousness. He says, instead, information feeds from the nose to the cortical, the cortical areas that arouse emotion and memories without our awareness. So when it comes to smells, people can be influenced by it and not realize it. And that's why in, in, in homes that they're selling, they'll bake bread or have cookies and create that aroma because it's something about this triggers something emotionally inside of me that makes me connect to the environment where I'm looking to buy. Smell plays that factor all the time. It goes into our emotional processing. That's why we get phrases and idioms related to the power of smell and the triggers that triggers uh, other intuitions like something, like someone would say, something, something smells fishy because you, you hold something suspect. Or I smell trouble. Or something some comes up smelling like a rose or the sweet smell of victory or it doesn't pass the smell test or smells like a rat, stinks to high heaven. All these references related to our intuition connected to the sense of smell. It's the only one that does it like that. Smell is this incredibly powerful sense that God gives us to connect to the divine, to fully enjoy his creation and remind us of his goodness. So I started going through the Bible and began to look at it and say, okay, how is smell played out? It's certainly not comprehensive, but here's the ones that stood out to me, how smell is used throughout the Bible. First is this. Smell is used as a reminder of redemption. Smell is used as a reminder of redemption. Look at the passage in uh, Ephesians where the Apostle Paul is talking. To he says, walk in love as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Throughout the scriptures, it talks about that. That it's this, it's this aroma, that redemption is connected, and it's a reminder of, the, of, of this, this, this the, the scent is a reminder of, of our redemption. Throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, tabernacle, altar, references again and again about this substitutionary sacrifice being offered up on the altar as an aroma that would please God. And in here in the New Testament, Jesus on the cross serves as that ultimate sacrifice for sins of the world and his reference is that same fragrant offering to, to God on our behalf. Another one, smell is used as a reflection of character. As a reflection of character. I love this passage in Song of Solomon. It's right at the very, very beginning where the Shulamite and the beloved, Sol Solomon and, and this woman, um, He's, they say this, he says, she's, she's speaking about him. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And it says, for your love is better than wine. And then it says, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, and then she qualifies it, your name is like ointment poured forth. 
Your name is ointment poured forth. What, is, what does that mean? So in the reference of name, anytime in the, when it, in the Old Testament, when they speak of name, they're talking about somebody's character. It's saying your character is a sweet-smelling aroma. I, I love being around you because your character precedes you, just like an aroma would. You know, you walk into a room and somebody has some really nice-smelling cologne and they leave and you walk in and you can still smell it. Character is the same way. Somebody has good character, it's like, oh, that's just like a sweet-smelling aroma. Conversely, someone has bad character, and that can be a bad aroma. You've walked into an elevator, and we're like, whoa, somebody left something in here, and there's that whole idea, and it's the same idea. It's a reflection of one's character. Smell is also used in the Bible to represent generosity. Generosity. I've re- this is Paul again speaking. He says, I received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That generosity is viewed as an aroma because it really works from ascent to the emotion, like this is a good thing. Another one, smell is used as a reference to worship. As a reference to worship in Romans chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What is he saying? Crawl up on that altar as a sweet-smelling aroma. That's the reference point to that. And this is your true and proper worship. That references to worship throughout the scriptures. And often worship in the Old Testament had the scent of things, and they would invoke the senses and a sense of smell. Ironically, worship isn't just about sound, but also the smell. Another one. Smell is also used as a revelation of the gospel. Smell is used as a revelation of the gospel. This is uh, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, it, fragrance and smell is all over the scriptures. And I love that one because it invokes emotion and it invokes this deep connection where worship is so much part of who we are and connecting to God, not just our mind and not just our will, but our emotions and that's why, he uses, that's why he uses scent so much in that, because scent connects us that way. It's closely t- tied to redemption. The gospel is a viral aroma that spreads to the next person we meet. So with aroma being so powerful in our human state, and such a valuable sense that God uses to connect and bless mankind throughout history, how can we leverage as God's people, the power of scent, the gift of aroma, the dynamic ability to smell, how can we leverage that to live more like Jesus and experience the divine? If that's what God's designed us to do and use the senses, how can I become, uh, in my next week, more keenly aware of what I smell? And that's, that's my challenge for you today. So I, I call this section, I want to challenge you with what I call spiritual aromatherapy. Okay, so if you're going to write anything down, this would be it right here. Spiritual aromatherapy, and this is just some things that I want to give to you for you to think through this week. First is this. 
Spiritual aromatherapy. First one is this, is um, we make correlations to the divine. Make correlations to the divine. Using scent to make connection to something bigger than what it actually is. So make a random correlation. Take something that's ritually mundane in your life that has a scent and connect it to something that's transformative. Like for me, something that I do every morning that has a scent is coffee. Anybody else? I've had three cups today. Because I got here and they offered me another one. And I think about that. When I smell coffee... What can I do with that scent rather than go, oh man, coffee, doesn't coffee smell good? And you know when freshly ground coffee and you open the bag and you smell it, there's something really like, wow, that's so good. If you're a coffee person, that's so good. It doesn't have to be coffee, it can be anything. But something that's mundane that you smell every day, give it a transformative context. Let me share with you, I've been reading this um, book called Every Moment Holy, and it gives, um, it gives uh, liturgy for all kinds of random things in your life. I mean, literally random stuff, like paying bills, shopping, um, uh, days of doubt, eat, meals eaten together, meals eaten alone, loss of electricity during a storm. I mean, literally, it covers so many topics. But one of the topics is the liturgy for the ritual of morning coffee. And so as I have my coffee and begin to say, rather than just say coffee's good, I go through my liturgy and connect a random and mundane thing to the divine because I want to correlate this. This is my spiritual aromatherapy. Here's what it says. I'll read the liturgy to you. This is me and my coffee in the morning. Meet me, O Christ, in the stillness of morning. Move me, O Spirit, to quiet my heart. Mend me, O Father, from yesterday's harms. From the discords of yesterday, resurrect my peace. From the discouragement of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the weariness of yesterday, resurrect my strength. From the doubts of yesterday, resurrect my faith. From the wounds of yesterday, resurrect my love. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake of your grace, O oh God. Amen. And then you sip your coffee. And I took a mundane and I made it spiritual. I don't care what it is. Here's my challenge. This week, what is a mundane smell that you sense? Take it in and give it a spiritual context to remind you of some, whatever it may be. But use the scent, the gift of that, especially if it's a repeated, recurring one, to connect and correlate to something transcendent, something bigger than yourself. Connect it to God. Connect to the resurrection. Connect to what Christ is doing. Whatever it may be, but just make it the same thing every day. That's the first. Spiritual realm therapy, correlations to the divine. The second one is reminders of blessing. Reminders of blessing. So I, I, I think I may have mentioned this. I live uh, in Soquel. I pass the Yoder's house when I go home down San Jose Road. And I live down the same road, just not far from them. I've got this beautiful view of the Soquel Valley and all the way out to Capitola. And each morning, I get out and I walk out on my balcony. And I 
am reminded, and I have the smells of the morning, especially after it's rained or whatever else, and we cut down a tree, and I smell that. I cut down things, and I'm smelling things, and I'm reminded that God has blessed me with a wonderful family, wonderful wife, some great grandkids, not great grandkids, grandkids that are great. I'm not that old. He's blessed me with animals. He's blessed me with, with fruit trees. I mean, just so many things that are just obviously right there in front of me. And I, as, I, as I sense them and I bring them in, I'm reminded his mercies are new every morning. That scripture wasn't there just to be like some, you know, tee up for a great song. His mercies literally are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I let that come in through the scent of what, I, what God has blessed me with. Reminders of his blessing. Correlations to the divine. Reminders of his blessings. The next, I let the sense prompts for soul care. I let the scent be a prompt for soul care. So sensory association is a spiritual practice. So what, what, what I do is I actually create a scent in a, in a random thing that we do. Light a candle at dinner. Or even just before a meal. You know, when we pray for a meal, I bow, I bow my head before the meal. I don't bow my head in reverence. You know what I bow my head for? To get closer to the aroma. I literally do. I just, I'll keep my eyes open. God, thank you for this. This is so good for my soul. Because if, if the gateway to my soul, my mind, my will, and emotion, is through the senses, I'm going to just take this all in. And so it's prompts that you set up and pray and speak moments of gratitude, prompts for soul care. So correlation to divine, reminders of blessing, prompts for soul care. The next one's creation, uh, connections to creation. When you think about cre- God's creation, um, all the plants, flowers, different things in our world have an aroma. Why? There's probably different reasons, you know, bees pollinating, whatever else. But I think so much of the aroma in God's natural context and beauty was for us to enjoy and for us to sense and smell. And when I'm walking through my property, I've got pine trees, I've got bay trees, I've got oak trees, I've got all these kinds of trees. I've got berries, and I, and I, and I actually, I'm like, everything has a distinct smell for me. And I begin to connect to the creation because the creation points me to a creator. And part of it, you know, that phrase and that reference where people say, slow down and smell the roses or smell the coffee, whatever it is, they say, slow down and smell something. Why? So you can connect to something. I believe the created order connects me to the creator in a unique way. And the scent is a big part of that. Connections to the, create, the creation. And the last one, the sensory. Make sensory associations that trigger to action. Create them as triggers to action. To where you smell something and it, and it doesn't just remind you of, but it actually moves you to do something different. So I mentioned Costco earlier. Um, my family... Uh, shops at Costco. When we first moved here, you know, you, when you move to a new area, 
you find your Costco, because that's just what you do. And we were a family of six, and our Costco is the one over by, um, I want to say Princeton Plaza, right over there in San Jose. And we went to that Costco, and we're a family of six. And Costco, again, Costco has that distinct smell, right? And so we're a family of six. And so we were getting food for our family. And, um, you know, you start with a cart, and then you move to a flat, because you kind of graduate up. And then you get to a cart in a flat, you know what I mean? Where you're like navigating all these things. And Costco, you guys go to Costco, right? Am I, yeah, all right, Costco's that place where you can buy 12 gallons of milk in a kayak. It's this random place, right? You know, it's just, that's how Costco is. So, so I'm in Costco with my whole family. And um, I get in line with my cart in my flat. And I notice that as I'm in the line, all the other lines are going, and our line is going super slow if it's moving at all. You ever been in a line like that? And it's really hard to move to another line because I got to navigate a cart and a flat over to another line, so we're just going to stay. And I got things to go do, places to be, people to see. I'm on an agenda. And so I get closer and closer, and I'm like super annoyed that it's taken me forever. This is early on when we first moved here to the Bay Area. And we get up to the front, and there's a girl checking. Her name is Natalie. It's her first day. And I look at her, and I can tell she feels awkward because she sees the line, and she knows she's slow, and she's super slow. And, uh, and I say, hey, how's it going? And she goes, it's my first day. And I go, we know. And then something prompted inside of me that I'm like, all right, I'm just going to have a conversation with her. And just chatting with her as she's checking her items. And I say to my wife, I lean over to my wife and I said, you know, I said, I said, uh, I said, hey, just keep it up. You're doing a great job. And she goes, really? And my wife goes, really? You know, like one of those things. And I said, yeah, you're doing great. And I told my wife, I said, you listen, every time we come to Costco, we're going to get in Natalie's line. And my wife's like, you realize she's slow. I said, yeah, but it's perfect because it'll give us a chance to get to know her and, and build, you know, a connection with her. So that was in 97 or 98, and we still go to that Costco. We live in Santa Cruz now, but we still visit that Costco, and she's still there. And we started going and getting in line every time. And it's really easy to find because it's the longest line. You can just get in her line. <laughs> we get in her line and go... And we would catch up where we were next time. Like, how's it going? What's, it, what's going on here? One time we got in line. Every time we'd go, we, my son would be like, we, we're getting Natalie's line. We're there. And we get caught up. One time we get in line, we see her. We're at the end of the line. She waves to us. And then she points to a ring on her finger. She got engaged. She's super excited to tell me. And she says, I know you're a pastor um, at a church. Would you, would you do our ceremony? I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm just, like, honored. This is over years of time. I'm honored that you even asked me. You know, they were going to get married months down the road. So, yeah, we'll grab some time, whatever else. Another time we get, before that, we get in line at Costco again. I see her, her face is all sad. And I'm like, what's going on? She says, well, I talked to my mother-in-law-to-be. She doesn't want you to just do the ceremony. I said, well, wh- why? She said, well, I don't, you know, I don't want a pastor from Costco to do the ceremony. And I'm like, I don't work here. I'm like... I'm like a real pastor. Like I'm, you know, I was thinking like Kirkland Seminary. Like I have my own deal, right? 
So we eventually did the ceremony. And, um, and then she said, she said, um, like a couple months later, it was coming into the holidays, and she said, we would like to, this is when I was at Westgate, we'd like to go to um, Westgate Parish for Christmas Eve Mass. I loved, I just loved the, the way she, I started calling it Westgate Parish after that. Yes, I would love for you to come to the parish <laughs> and hang out at Easter or Christmas Mass. That would be fantastic with Father John. I mean, it'll be great. <laughs> you know, because they, they had some sort of Catholic background, you know, from way back. She brought 14 people. They sat in the front row. Now, Westgate's service is like a Coldplay concert, so it's nothing like she was expecting. But she's just like, that was the most interesting Christmas Eve service ever, but they heard the gospel for the first time. And I thought, every time we go to Costco, I need to be reminded of that. Now, every time I go to Costco, because they all smell the same, I am reminded. I am reminded I am Christ's ambassador, as if God were pleading his case through me to be reconciled with him. And that smell triggers me to action. I go into Costco and I look around and I think, God has placed me here for a unique thing. Scrap your agenda, your time, your ways, your preferences, your rights, and restructure them in the light of the needs of people around you because he's placed you here and this smell reminds you and triggers you to move. I read this in my liturgy book. It's a liturgy for waiting in line. Changed things for me. As my life is lived in anticipation of the redemption of all things, so let my slow movement in this line be to my own heart a living parable and a teaching moment. It says, do not waste even my petty irritations, O Lord. Use them to expose my sin and my selfishness, to reshape my vision, my desire into better and holier things. It says, decrease my unrighteous impatience, directed at circumstances and people. Increase instead my righteous longing. For the moment of your return, when all creation will be liberated and every futility in which it now languishes, be present in my waiting, O Lord, that I might also be present in it as a Christ-bearer to those before me and those behind me who also wait. As I'm a vessel, let not... Let me not be a sodden paper cup full of steaming frustration, carelessly sloshing unpleasantness on those around me. Rather, let me be like a communion chalice, reflecting the silvered beauty of your light, brimming with an offered grace. Amen. Powerful. I don't, I don't wait in lines the same way. Because if my rights and my ways and my preferences are being interrupted, I have to adjust them for what God has for me. And every time I smell Costco, I think of that. Weird, huh? Use the scent to trigger something inside of you because God has activated us. Ephesians 2.10 says, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You were created and uniquely formed and shaped that God did that for you, through you, in you. 
and then he prepared stuff for you to do. There's workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. I didn't make that up. That's the scriptures. God has stuff for you when you leave this building and your scent will remind you of those things if you're aware. So when you're waiting in line, what does it smell like in here? Let it remind you. Let it be a trigger. And let it move you to be the kind of follower of Jesus that is present with anybody and everybody that the senses allow us to do that. And as a church moved in such a way that this church is making an impact because its people are keenly aware of God working in and through them for his glory, his purposes, and for his kingdom. Will you stand with me for prayer as we close out our time? Father, thank you for our chance to look at these past few weeks at the different senses and how it stirs things inside of all of us. And it reminds us of who we are and why we're here and what we're doing. And will you use for the people that are here and the people that are watching online and the people that are in the other room, use our sense, use our sense of a smell, the sense in order to bring glory to you, in order to connect deeper to you, in order to have a more fulfilling, God-centered, Christ-focused life. In doing so, you'd be honored. And your kingdom would be growing, and Jesus' name would be made great. We pray in Christ's name.